Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you again. How are you doing? Good week? Yes? Great week? I, uh, since the last time I was here, I, um, I moved. We bought a house, finally, after three years of living in an apartment. We decided to live in California. Yay! Yeah, I know. Very exciting. Um, as you know, the housing market here is insane, and maybe we're crazy for having finally jumped in with all of our feet, but we did it, and uh, it was crazy because we bought the house, and then we spent an entire month um, fixing it so we could live in it, um, and you know how much the house cost, which meant all the work got done by me and my wife when she wasn't at work. I was working, at, I would take, take meetings and be like on a phone call, on a conference call underneath the, uh, underneath the new van. It pl- we changed everything. We're in. We're good. But if I walk like I'm 20 years older than I am, right, than I actually am, it's because I literally like, oh, my body doesn't exist anymore. And now I, anyone who works in a contracting job, whether it's plumbing, whether it's built, you d- deserve every bit of money that you get paid. <laughs> because your bodies, I don't know how you do it. So amen. God is good. We celebrate him even when things are hard, even when things are difficult. When times are hard, when times are good, God is always good. He is always amazing. And I am so excited about this series and what we've been learning about this idea because there is so much that we face as Christians. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes we're having the best week ever. Sometimes something hits us and tragedy strikes. We lose someone we love. We have hard things happen. We wonder, is it still good? And I just have to say, the one thing I know the one thing that I know that I figured out over the many years of my life and my faith in Christ is that it is always good to know God. Amen. Right? Amen. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thanks for these amazing people. Thanks for the time we're going to have together today. I just pray that my words will be a blessing to them. Uh, anyone who's here uh, in this room with us or, or, or watching online, God, I pray that you will be magnified, you will be glorified, you will be honored in all that I say. And Father, may we together uh, gird ourselves. May we put on the full armor of God so we may fight against the enemy who wants so desperately to bring us down. We don't want to give up. We don't want to give in. We want to stand strong in our faith, and this is what it's all about. So Jesus, we give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'll get to this in just a second. It's, it's very, very decorative and very impractical, but I'll get to that in a second, too. Um, I loved the, uh, this chapter of Ephesians um, when I was a kid. The idea of wearing a full set of armor and battling the enemy was something I really wanted to do as a third grader. Uh, I wasn't weird. Okay, well, I was a little weird. You guys can understand figured that out already, all the stories I've told about myself. But the excitement of wearing armor uh, was because the summer I turned, uh, right before third grade, the term, the, that summer, my, uh, I, I, I discovered C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. The Chronic, what? Chronicles of Narnia. Um, uh, the books, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, all of those. I just fell so in love with these books. I read The Hobbit that summer, and I just thought the idea of uh, the books of the Chronicles of Narnia about children from our world who are magically pulled from here into another world where one where animals can talk, uh, magic is real, people wear armor and battle monsters and evil, and everything about this resonated with me as a kid. And when my pastor grandfather told me there was armor I got to wear, and the Bible talked all about it, I was ready to get fitted that minute. I was like, okay, sign me up, Grandpa. And he's like, well, it's not physical armor you can go to the store and pick up. Like, boo. 
I was so disappointed when I found out I was not going to get a real sword for my eighth birthday. I mean, I was like, sad. I want the whole thing. I want to be able to, where's the helmet? No scabbard that could pull the sword from it? Avast! I'm going to go, avast, I don't think I'm a pirate. No, not that kind of a sword. Like a real battle sword, right? Knights in shining armor. My parents eventually did go to Spain. They were missionaries. They went to Spain. And they brought me back a beautiful broadsword from Seville, uh, which is where they make all the, um, the, the, the military dress swords for the, 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 uh, the Marines and all that. And that thing was gorgeous. But we had one rule. You may never, ever play with it. Why? Because it was sharp as heck. One of my friends decided to play with it in high school and sliced his hand right open. And I'm like, oh, that's why my mom said that. My mom was smart. But I never got that when I was a kid. That was not allowed when I was an eight-year-old. You're not going to give a a, a kid a real sword. My grandfather made clear that the armor he was talking about, what the Bible was talking about, was not literal. It was a figurative language. And as Pastor Ricardo has been preaching through this series, the Apostle Paul equates what we need as Christ's followers with this idea of armor. Because Jesus is, uh, and following Jesus is not a walk in the park through a bunch of pretty flowers where people are singing happy songs and hugging each other all the time. If that's the kind of faith you think following Jesus is, then I got bad news for you. You're in for a world of hurt because following Jesus is a lot of work. And sometimes following Jesus is a heck of a battle. Walking with Jesus is less field of flowers and more band of brothers. Because the minute we decide to walk with the Savior, there is a target on our backs. After spending the book of Ephesians talking about godly living and relationships, Paul closes with a very strong admonition and a word of advice. And this is how it starts that chapter. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Whew, I got goosebumps. That sounds kind of scary. Kind of freaky. Sounds like, you know, you're watching an episode of Stranger Things or something, right? This is not something that's meant for fairy tales and for happily ever afters. Paul is saying, when you say this, when you say to Jesus, yes to Jesus, all of this is happening all around us that we may not be able to see, but we will certainly feel its effects if we do not protect ourselves. Paul says to anyone following Jesus, your enemy is not who you think it might be. This is good advice, especially in a world where we argue and disagree about everything. Our enemy is not the person we don't, disagree, don't agree with on guns or abortion or whatever else is the hot political button of the day. Our actual enemy is the literal devil. People say the word literally. I literally am so hungry right now. Okay, so you're hungry? I literally could eat a horse. No, you could not. I use the word literally too often. My wife's like, do you literally mean that? I'm like, I literally do. But Paul is literally talking about the devil. That is our enemy. Our enemy isn't someone who's on the other side of a belief or the other side of a system. Our enemy is the enemy, the one who's been the enemy of God since the beginning of time. That's who our enemy is. He has been doing his best to deceive and destroy man since the Garden of Eden and that first bite of forbidden fruit. The last thing he wants is for anyone to succeed in following Christ... And Jesus said that he was the light of the world, right? 
So our job is to shine the light as brightly as we can into a dark world, and the enemy will fight against any light that shines into that darkness. Why? Because the darkness is where he dwells. This is why Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. I like that he says that. Paul doesn't say, if you want to fight against the devil, throw on whichever piece of armor you like. He doesn't say, put on the partial armor of the Lord and hope that you chose wisely. Can you imagine putting on the partial armor of the Lord? Well, I will choose the belt of, tr- belt of truth, right? I will choose just the belt. Well, that's not going to protect you very well. A belt may hold your pants up, stop you from being obscene in front of a bunch of people, but it's not going to protect you fully from the attacks of the enemy. Paul says this, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. He doesn't say, in case you get into a battle, you'll be fine. He says, after the battle, the assumption is you are going to fight someone. If you want to fight someone, you have to come prepared. Stand your ground. Put it on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Every piece. You can't go into battle against the enemy who is out for your destruction wearing running shoes and bike shorts and that weird little helmet that bike people wear. If you're a bike person, I'm sorry. They're very silly looking. That may protect you if you fall off your bike and protect your head, but if someone's coming at you with a sword, that thing is not going to stop you. We've covered many of these pieces already in the series. Last week, Pastor Ricardo talked about the helmet, and he looked very cool with his SWAT gear on. I don't have connections like that to the police. I could try, like, who are you again? I'm Pastor Wayne. I'm friends with Pastor Ricardo. Okay, goodbye. Click. I'm excited to talk about one of the most underrated pieces of armor as Pastor Ricardo talked about. And it's obvious I walked up here with this hubcap. The hubcap of truth. No, it's the shield, right? The shield of faith. Problem is, shields are not cool. Swords are cool. You can swing a sword and hack at bad guys with swords. You can kick some serious booty with a sword and take down your enemies pretty easily when you are good with a sword. Uh, Think of Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. Ever seen Fellowship of the Ring? Anybody? I watched it annually because this looks like my favorite film series of all time. It's the one film series my wife and I 100% agree on. She hates Star Wars. <gasps> but she loves The Lord of the Rings. So every year at Christmas time, I don't know why, but as soon as Christmas is over, we turn on The Lord of the Rings and watch them all the way through. And that moment when Aragorn jumps into the fray against the Nazgul at the top of uh, Weathertop, this little mountain, the hobbits are scared. They're surrounded, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes Aragorn swinging the sword, and he's hacking and slashing. And these mighty undead warriors, huh, crazy warriors of darkness, hmm, we heard about those this morning, they flee. He attacks them and destroys them, and it's so cool. That's what I want to do. I don't want to hide behind a shield. That's not super brave. I mean, when you look at me, you don't think bravery personified. I get that. I am wearing uh, Mario mushroom shoes for Pete's sake. We bought this house, right? 
And in the house, they came with the people who lived there, lived there for 30 years. They owned the house forever. And the man uh, had clearly loved his garage. Had a giant man workbench in it. There's pegboard for tools of things that I would never even know what to do with. My toolbox is this big. This is a man's garage. And I'm like, I'm going to have a workbench. I'm going to do stuff on this workbench. And my wife looked at me and she said, I love you so much, honey. But you're not a workbench guy. You're an art guy. You're a word guy. But, but I could do stuff. She said, you're not going to do stuff. I'm not that kind of person. I, I, I want to be the guy who ventures into the fray, who does the man. But I'm, I'm, the shield makes me feel like I might be, oh, I'm scared. I'm going to hide from something. I don't want to be the scared warrior who hides behind the shield. I want to be the mighty warrior of God who, who takes names and, and kills the bad guys with, a, with this amazing sword. But guess what? We're not talking about the sword today. Pastor Ricardo saved the sword for himself. He's like, yeah, I'm going to save the coolest part of the armor for me. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll get the shield. I think there's a reason why Paul lists the armor in a certain order, though. And there's a reason why, as he places the, pretty, the shield pretty high on that list. In fact, it's one of the big three in the full armor of God. And it's one of the only pieces that Paul goes out of his way to explain the why behind its use. In addition to all of these, he says, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Why do we have the shield of faith? To stop the fiery arrows of the devil. You'll notice Paul doesn't simply say, carry the shield. This is going to stop the arrows of the devil, right? We're walking around with it. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll use the, the wristbands. This isn't going to do anybody any good. Now, this wrist might be protected, and that knee might be protected. But what about the rest of me? Paul doesn't say carry it. He says, hold it up. And it's not just any shield. It's not the shield of good advice. Or the shield of not being a quitter when things get tough. It's the shield of faith. What is that exactly? What shield of faith? First, we've got to understand what Paul's talking about when he talks about a shield. Okay, he was not talking about, there's a cool prop that Pastor Carter said I could use. Like I said, he has the cooler prop, the sword. He's going to use that next week, sneak preview. Because you could use this. I'm like, this is perfect, except it's completely the opposite of what Paul was talking about. This shield is much like the most famous shield in America today. When you think of a shield used in America, what do you think of? Oh, yeah, that's right. Captain America. You look at that guy's shield. That's all. It's like this one. Next and around. Perfect. Except if you're holding it and you're doing it right, you're holding it up, you got to do a lot of this to protect all the parts of your body. Protect your head, you got to have this. Protect your, uh, well, you got to get low. What happens when you're not holding it up in the right place? Fire your arrow to the head. Paul was talking about. Uh, something much different. It's actually the Roman idea of what a shield was. There were three Roman shields, but the most prevalent one that Paul was probably speaking about is, uh, is this one. Uh, the most common shield of the, of the first century used by average soldiers. This shield, when held up in front of the soldier, would protect them from nearly every kind of attack. The thing is the size of their body. Nearly the entire body is covered by the shield, making it much more difficult for the enemy to get a quick hit or for the soldier to take a surprise arrow to the chest. When you're completely surrounded by something, it's harder for the weapons to get in and take you down. A shield like this was not easy to carry, as you can imagine. 
The shield was about as tall as me. So some of you are much taller. You're a little less protected. But for most of us, oh, that's pretty good protection. They use them to great effect to protect the most vulnerable parts of their body. So when Paul talks about the shield of faith, he's talking about a defensive weapon that protects the person willing to hold it up and actively use it from the attacks that might be hard to fend off, like fiery arrows shot from a great distance and aimed at the heart or the head. The shield of faith will stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Well, why does that matter? Why do we need something so big and so strong to protect us? And why is it the shield of faith? Well, faith is something the apostles spent a lot of time explaining to the early church because they wanted new believers, both Gentiles and Jews, to understand the importance of what they believed and why they believed it. In one of my favorite Bible verses, the writer of Hebrews explains it this way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Oh, that's good. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. I worked with a wonderful pastor early in my uh, years of ministry. He was born in Alabama. And as you know about people from the South, um, they like to use a lot of down-home type sayings that their grandparents or relatives use. And you listen to them, especially from Seattle and someone from the South is talking, like, you are saying some weird stuff. You know, I have, I, a lot of my, my mom's family is from Ohio, and a lot of my dad's family is from Texas. And so you can imagine the colloquialisms that I grew up with hearing people say. And they were farm people and like cotton pickers and, and they, they'd work in oil fields. And so they, they use all these weird, I'm like, mom, what does that mean? She's like, I don't know. Grandpa said it for 20 years. I have no idea what he said. But it meant something. But this pastor used this phrase when he would talk about something. And I just, I loved it because it, it, helps, um, it helped me understand when I was a newish pastor what this idea of, of belief and faith can be. Pastor Rick uh, Kingham, he used this phrase to, to help me grasp this idea. The idea was, the, what does it mean when you have the assurance of things that are hoped for? He said this, faith is when you know, deep in your knower, that what you believe in, hope for, cling to, and hold on to is true, no matter what others might try to tell you, no matter how hard they try to convince you that it's not real. Do you know in your knower that what you claim to believe about Jesus being the Son of God, the gift of salvation offered to us through a sacrifice, the abundant life that he promised is true. Do you know it in your knower? If you're not sure where your knower is, it's not here. It's not here. It's like right here. It's the gut conviction that says, yeah, this is actual, factual truth. I'm not making something up. I don't just believe in fairy tales. I know in my knower that this is real. What are things that you might know in your knower? You know in your knower that you love your family without, with, and you would die for them if you, if you had to. I know in my knower that the best kind of pizza is Hawaiian pizza with pineapple on it. And if you disagree, I'm so sorry, but my knower is right. <laughs> Do you have the conviction or deeply rooted belief that hangs on no matter what the world tries to say to you? 
that what you can't see or understand about God doesn't stop it from being real and true and probably more real and more true than anything you can touch or look at or experience right now? You know when you experience this the most? When you face the worst possible things in your life. Your knower will let you know, oh, this is something I just felt when I was a kid, or holy cow, this is real. If you've ever lost someone, and you know in your knower that they are now absent from the body, but present with Christ, that's why Paul says we do not mourn like the world mourns. We mourn with hope. We mourn with joy because we know our knower says this thing is so real. They are not here. They're with him. Right? When you know in your knower that what you believe is real. And the thing is, we get the knower really easily when we're kids because kids know what is real. Adults are like, oh, I got doubts, worries, fears, blah, blah, blah. That's when your knower starts to get all churny and icky. And you need to take some Tums. Spiritual Tums, though. Not the regular stuff. When the enemy tries to sneak an attack, he will not go full force after you. A fiery arrow may not be as obvious as a full frontal attack, but it's harder to defend yourself against. The enemy is not going to come up to you and say, hey, buddy, God is not real. He's not going to say, hey, the Bible is not true. He is not going to say, oh, that stuff you heard at church from Pastor Dwayne this week, not true. He is not going to tell you that. He's going to be much more subtle. He's going to make it much more sneaky. Remember how he went after Eve in the Garden of Eden? He didn't come through and say, well, he didn't, he slithered up because he was, you know, the snake. But he didn't, like, walk up to, of course, you don't walk up. Well, maybe, he did. I don't know. Anyway, it's at the beginning of stuff. He said, he didn't say to her, you know, um, God lied, and I'm, and I'm right. He didn't tell her flat out, God is lying to you. What, is, what did he do? He said, did God really say this? Did this really happen? Are you saying that God says you can't do this? Are you sure about that? He subtly put the question in her mind, challenging what she believed and knew about God. He let the question do the dirty work of sowing doubt and disbelief. And the fiery arrows that Paul talks about do the same exact thing. What form do they take? Again, figurative language. You're not going to walk out the door after a great service today where you're just saying, give me Jesus. If you believe that, if you say that, that's true, then I've got, got a secret for you. You're going to get attacked later today. The enemy's going to come after you. If you just said, you can have all the world, but give me Jesus, if you really mean that, which we should, we're in church, and if you're just saying that and you don't mean it, conviction time. But if we mean that, when we walk out that door, the enemy's going to come after us. And how is he going to do it? He's going to try to sow doubt, worry, fear, discontent. You name it, he's going to use it to try to get you. Anything that might stop us from advancing in our walk with Christ, anything that might impede us and hold us back from truly being all that God has called and created us to be, these are what the shield of faith protects us from. And that's why you can't use something as cute as this as decorative as it may be, as shiny as it is, if I shine the right light, I may be able to blind somebody. But guess what? This will not stop the flaming arrows of doubt and worry and fear. You got to cover every part of you. You can't be content to go, well, I got the shield of faith. I'm okay. 
Do I look protected? No. I am vulnerable. And folks, I'm just as vulnerable as you are. Every single day, I have to say to myself, do I know in my knower what I believe to be true about my faith? When we take up and hold up the shield, we protect ourselves from the enemy's assaults no matter what form they may take. Direct hit due to sickness or finances or some other big thing that causes us to ask, where is God right now? That can be stopped immediately when we hold up the shield of faith. If your faith is weak and dangling to the side, it will not protect you when the enemy's hits come. The enemy can, can't pierce the shield if we're holding it where it's supposed to be. As hard as he may try, and he will try so hard. He'll use politics. He'll use pandemics. He will use people to try and shake your faith. But if we hold fast to it, if we hold it close and hold it tight and keep it up against us as we know in our knower, then we can trust God through those hard, big times. But sometimes the enemy won't go after us in an obvious way, and holding the shield of faith will protect us in those moments too. When we start to feel insecure or worried, is God really in control of things? Then what's up with inflation and abortion? And everyone, everyone's ugly right now. Last few years, everyone's been crazy and ugly. God, are you really in control? The enemy tries to use that kind of stuff to rob you of the gifts God promised you. By the way, these gifts are joy, peace, patience, goodness, kind. If you're not feeling those things right now, then guess what? Fiery arrows are coming after you and you're getting hit. You've got to hold up the shield. You've got to protect yourself. They may not seem as big and as horrible as the bigger things in life, but the minute your defenses start getting weakened, the minute you take an arrow to the knee, suddenly your walk isn't as good as it used to be. You get an arrow in the arm, you can't hold up the shield quite as well as you used to. You may be a battle-hardened warrior, but now you're in big trouble because you didn't hold up your faith. When we hold our faith up in those moments, we are able to stop the worry and the fear and the anxiety from coming close to where we are most vulnerable. It's our hearts and our minds. But even better, the shield of faith helps us advance on the enemy who wants to push us back. He's trying to get you to fall backwards. He doesn't want you to keep moving forward. And yet the shield is that big, a shield that strong is not just a defensive weapon. A soldier could use that huge shield to push hard against his attacker, to drive them back. And as they drive them back, they gain ground. Who would like to gain some ground against the enemy in this world? Me. I don't want him to have any, I don't want, I've fallen back enough times in my life, every moment where I can say, no, I know this to be true. No, I am moving forward. No, I have faith. I say to God, I am ready. And the enemy's like, whoa, I didn't expect that to happen. Even better, if all of us are holding up those shields together, guess what? If I start to get weak and you're standing next to me with a shield the same size and you've got the one, then all of a sudden we're advancing on mass together moving forward protecting each other i may not i may be a little weak right now but my sister in christ she's holding her shield up she's helping me out you see what i'm saying this isn't a one person battle yes pilgrim's progress the great book i love the book again i loved it when i was a kid 
But you're not out there fighting the devil alone. You're fighting it with an army sitting right next to you. And when you have those moments of weakness, just lean to your friend and say, can you hold up my shield a little higher? I am weak today. Boom! The shield goes up. There's a song we sang when I was a kid. I was really happy when I got to bring it back a few years ago when I was still a kiss pastor. The song goes like this. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. You do hand motions and you're in kids' ministry. <laughs> mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. What we know in our knower about God is magnified by our ability to use that knowledge to defend and fight against an enemy who is out to stop each one of us from achieving all that he has created us for. If our faith in God is as big and strong and mighty as God himself, then there is nothing the enemy can throw at us that will stop us. The devil knows this. He's not an idiot. He is not stupid. He knows our weaknesses, but he also knows our strengths. The last thing he wants you to do is to take up your faith. He will try to distract you, to keep you from growing in it, and encourage you to put it down until you really need it. Do you really need that right now? I'm okay. I'll put it down right now. Bam! I got hit. Oops. Our faith needs to be constantly held up in front of us, protecting us, moving us forward, helping us take the enemy's ground. A Roman soldier who put down his shield until he really needed it, what kind of a soldier was that? A dead soldier. <laughs> Which is why Paul makes clear we have to hold it up. It's the only way to protect ourselves from the devil's attacks. It's the only way we can advance and move forward, not through our great battle skill or soldier-like reflexes. I mean, come on, look at most of us. We're not really warrior material. Some of you are very manly and very fit. Good job. Some of you are very fit ladies. You're all, come on, some of us are just flabby. We're soft. Uh, our arms are weak. But we're the warriors? God's like, yeah, heck yeah, you're my warriors. That's why I gave you the armor to put on. So hold up your faith. Hold up that shield. You can do this. You're not alone. Because if we know in our knower that what we believe and know about God is real, is true, then that is what sustains us and is life-giving and it is life-changing. And I can honestly say, like I said earlier, what I know, what I know to be true. Without God, without Him in my life, my life would be a train wreck of epic proportions that I would never want to be part of. I am so thankful that I have this faith to hold on to, to cling to, to hold up when my life gets hard and weak and I want to be scared and run away. If I didn't have this faith, I'd be a fallen soldier on the battlefield. So let's do what Paul says. Let's put on the full armor of God. And no matter what we see on the news or have happened in our homes this week, no matter what lies and trickery the enemy throws at us, no matter what doubt or worry or insecurity or fear may come your way, take up our shield in every single circumstance. Hold your faith as high as you can and say to the enemy, I will not be moved. This is real. This is true. I am not going to go anywhere. That's the last thing he wants from any of us. That's why Paul says, stand strong, stand firm. Remember, the one who made the shield and gave it to us to carry, he is so strong, 
He is so big and so mighty that what? There is nothing he cannot do. Will you stand with me for a second? Thank you. I know it's... We're battle-hardened and weary sometimes. Sunday, we're like, oh, we have a week ahead of us. We've got to do this again. Uh-huh. It's just going to get like that forever. I told my kids that. They're like, great. Thanks for the encouragement, Dad. Life doesn't get easier. I said, no, it just gets harder the rest of your life. What makes the difference is, as my grandmother used to say, it's a great life if you don't weaken. So don't weaken. Put on the armor. Hold your faith. Or as the song says, my God is so big, so strong, and so, say those with me, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. That was very unconvincing. Do you believe that? Do you know in your knower that this is true? Okay, Pastor Ricardo knows. Do you know? Do you know? Then let's say this again. Let's say this with conviction and say to the enemy, this is what we believe about our God. We believe this about our faith. There is nothing he cannot do, which means there is nothing that we cannot do. Right? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There is nothing my God cannot do. If you know that in your knower. I keep stepping on your thing here. Sorry about that. If you know that, you are holding up the shield of faith. This is the shield of faith right here. You are ready for battle, my friends. You are ready for what comes next. And guess what? You are not alone. We're all in this battle together. We are the mighty army of God. He has called us and created us for this moment, for this time, for this place to hold up our shield and say, I will not be moved. In fact, enemy, watch out. We're going to take some ground back. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, amazing, mighty, mighty God in whom there is nothing that is impossible. Our faith is not found in belief or, or something that just seems like a good idea. God, we know in the very core of who we are that this is real. You are alive. You are powerful. You are mighty. You have created us for a purpose and a plan, and we are going to stand strong in our faith this week. So help us to take up the shield of faith. Help us to see that when we live in a broken world where the devil flings his, his arrows of discord and doubt and deceit, that any chance he can get that we will stand hold and stand strong and say, no, we will not be hit. We will not be taken. We will not be deceived. Arm us with the shield of faith today that we may be able to extinguish his arrows and even better, God, to spread your gospel, the word of truth to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. God, we thank you for the victory of life this week. But God, there's thousands of lives, there's millions of lives in this world that also still need to know you. So for every life that now lives because of abortion being overturned, God, that, that means we have a bigger responsibility to take our truth, the truth that you have given us, out to the world. May we be warriors for you, God. May we share the gospel freely. May we hold our faith up high and say to, to you, God, God, there's nothing you cannot do. We put our faith, we put our hope, we put our belief, everything we have is in you. And with that, we can move forward because we know in our knower that you are true. 
that what we cling to is real and that we will, we will defeat the enemy because you've already promised it to happen. God, we love you. We thank you. We celebrate you. May we hold up our faith this week. May we be strong. And if we start to feel weak, God, may we turn to our fellow brothers in Christ, our fellow sisters in Christ, and ask them to hold up their faith as an example for us when we start to suffer. May we lean on their faith in our times when it's harder for us. So God, we're not in this alone. We're together in this room. There's millions of us around the world, but even better, the one who's in control, the one who commands it all, the one who's in charge of this army is the one who created the heavens and the earth and sent his son for us. God, we're ready. We are ready to continue the battle because it's what you've called us to. May we hold up our faith high this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.